New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Our guest today has been exploring the scientific fact that our potential to grow is boundless, limited only by our courage and our own imagination. He writes, playing the game is not about figuring things out once and for all. It's about getting onto a path of maximum growth, maximum satisfaction, and maximum connectedness. It's about healing ourselves from the filters that hold us back so that we can live our lives fully. He goes on to point out that we don't usually experience the world as it really is. Our experience of life is filtered through the lens of our emotions and we are blind to what we can't see. He also shares the good news that the cosmos is responsive and synchronicity occurs to help us come into our wholeness. Here we'll explore some of the filters that hold us back from being our whole, vibrant, creative selves and some tools to help us achieve that with our guest, Sky Nelson Isaacs. Sky Nelson Isaacs is a physicist, musician, teacher, parent, and activist. He has many years of experience as a physics and math instructor and has also worked in the software industry. His current work involves research in the field of quantum foundations and has published a growing body of peer-reviewed work developing the foundation of a theory of synchronicity. He's also earned recognition as a singer, songwriter, and performer. His books include Living in Flow, The Science of Synchronicity and How Your Choices Shape Your World, and Leap to Wholeness, how the world is programmed to help us grow, heal, and adapt. Join us for the next hour as we explore quantum wholeness with our guest, Sky Nelson Isaacs. I'm speaking with Sky from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Sky, welcome. Thank you so much, Justine. It's great to be back on the show. It's great to have you again. Um, you know, I I know early on in your book, you, you talk about the Big Bang Theory. And so <laughs> I want to start with that because normally we, uh, the, when we think of the Big Bang Theory, it, we think of it coming, the Big Bang, um, 
all material universe coming out of a void. And you are talking about it. You're saying that we are asking the wrong question. And you you say, how do we get something from everything rather than from nothing? And I, I just love for you to tell us about that and what that entails and how the scientific questions that we pursue actually filter out so much? Well, as with many things in life, it's not that the question is wrong. It's not that the question, how do we get something from nothing, is wrong. It's not that the Big Bang is wrong. It's an answer to a specific question, and that question carries with it a certain set of assumptions. And that assumption that is being made there is that we start with nothing. We start with the void. We, we assume the void. In fact, in, in quantum field theory, we postulate that there's a void, and then we talk about how particles come out of the void. And that's correct, but it's not necessarily the only question we could ask. If we ask a different question, how do we get something from everything, we're, we're posing a different set of assumptions about how the world works. We're not assuming that it comes from, from the void. We're saying uh, we're looking at a different set of circumstances. So if you look at what quantum mechanics is mathematically, it's a wave function that's constantly evolving into branching uh, different superposition of different states. So you have these many, many, many possible states. And from those states, you get one result, you get one outcome. And so you're, you're taking from everything, from all the possibilities, you're, you're obtaining one outcome. Sort of a complementary way of looking at the situation. And so it's, it, the question is important, that acknowledging what question we're asking, understanding the assumptions we're making, because I think that the question about how do we get something from nothing sort of carries an element of lack. If we assume the world starts with zero, then we sort of look at our lives like we start with zero, and we have to accumulate. We have to fill up our tank and fill up our cupboards, and it's this sense of all constantly trying to prove ourselves and trying to show that we are enough. And so this alternate view that how do we get something from everything asks us to look at our wholeness. Who are we as a whole? And how do we choose what we're going to express at any given time? We don't have to start from scratch. We just have to choose carefully who we are. That's really very clear. And, and it reminds me, is, is this where our feeling like abundance comes from, if, if we're, we're knowing that we can choose from everything, that there's an abundance in the universe rather than a lack of abundance. Yeah, and abundance, it doesn't mean that everything is possible. It doesn't mean we have infinite possibilities, we, that, that, but there is a lot of possibilities. There's a lot of, you know, but what I'm after is that moment in our thought process when we have an idea and then we have some filter that comes in and says, that's not possible. And it may be true that our specific idea is not possible, but what is possible is some other version of it that's perfectly within possibility if we just uh, allow us to, ourselves to start on a project and align with the circumstances, listen to people, listen to the situation, so that we can accept synchronicities to show up in, in our lives to help us along the way. So our initial idea might not be possible, but by getting started with it, by moving down that path, we might open up to things that are possible from that abundant uh, space of all the things that could occur. 
I wanted to ask you on another question related to that, and this has to do with the particle and waves in quantum mechanics. Um, and I, the way I read it, and I may be wrong about this, but the way I read it was that the wave function includes more of a totality, or it's more inclusive, and the particle is like the specific if if we if we look at something that becomes more specific with the particle, it, am I seeing that correctly? Or can well, you I think help it's me? always a metaphor. When we talk about quantum mechanics, it's always going to be a metaphor. So you've got the right metaphor. Yeah, um, I, I I like to say quantum mechanics is, is about the study of what the world is doing when, when we're not watching it. So when we're not watching an electron in an experiment, it takes on, like the atom, for instance, the hydrogen atom, the form of the electron around the atom is uh, the shape of harmonics. And those harmonics are like these electron clouds that you probably learned in high school. They've got these beautiful flower-like shapes. That doesn't mean the electron is actually shaped like that. It means that it's got a certain probability of finding it in places where that shape exists. So it's, it, it points to this intermediate state of probability before you actually measure something, there's a, a distribution of where it could be found. And that's what the wave really is. So, Sky, help us now compare this or to understand this as far as the way we go through our lives, very filtered. And you mentioned the, the filters we use of a lens that when we select certain branches, you use a metaphor of a tree that we can choose the branches of a tree. Let's talk about the filters that, that we impose upon that, that choice. Well, in image processing, in data science, we take an image, like a photograph. So I, I use this, this example in the book because it's a, a way in which wholeness or holism shows up in modern science. If you take an image, like in Adobe Photoshop, if you're a graphic designer, you want to adjust it, like the lighting or the blur or the, the crispness of the edges. You don't go in with an eraser tool and a pencil tool. You go to the frequency domain. You convert it to its patterns. And you make some changes there that are very they're precise. This is what we call a filter. You apply your filter, and then you convert it back into the regular old viewable space. When you do that, your changes apply everywhere, all at once. So this image that you think of as uh, having, you know, maybe it's an image of a face and part of the image has eyes and part of it has a nose and they're separate. But when you convert them into the frequency domain, you're affecting all of that at once. And that's, that's what I mean by wholeness in science. And the, the technique is called the Fourier transform, which does that. And all physicists use the Fourier transform in quantum mechanics and a lot of other fields all the time. So I'm really exploring this particular mathematics and pointing to the ways in which it actually shows us wholeness in the world as we currently know it. You don't have to go beyond that to see holism in our world. Now, I, then I step, go a step further and I, and I say, sort of as an analogy, that we as humans also have a filtering process. We have both filters on what we take in. Like, if you were to give me a criticism about my work, I might hear that as a criticism because that's what I experienced growing up. But I also might hear it as a, a, com a compliment that you care about my work enough to get involved and want to you know, say something about it. 
And depending on how I hear it, I'm going to believe different things about our relationship and, and, and how to act going forward. So those filters influence our experiences from the very beginning. And I look at the process of healing as really just about identifying the, those lenses that we're looking through. So we're not just looking right through them. We actually take them off for a minute and see, oh, yeah, this is my, these are my preferences. These are my biases. These are my prejudices. I can start to, when I identify them, I can start to get around them sometimes and see the world through a, a clear lens or through someone else's eyes. Or we might be, be calling them wounds. This is um, where, like, like the wound of shame uh, that we've taken on as a child because we were bullied or something like that. And then we become, uh, shame becomes a thing that's an, an automatic lens that when somebody says something to us, we automatically go to that place rather than taking a compliment we we think of it, oh, he brought that up. It must be that I'm inadequate in some way. Yes, exactly. And so I, I'm ashamed to say that I feel shame too. And uh, <laughs> I, I have a memory of being like in second grade and uh, missing, striking out playing kickball. You know, like I missed the ball three times. And I went behind the backstop and I just left everybody behind and I went and cried by myself. And I, I isolated myself. I pulled myself away. I felt ashamed of my experience, and um, I still remember that moment. And I have a child who's now been, she's a little older than that now, but I remember when she was that age, and noticing how I actually carry some of the anti-energy, or some of, the, some of the, my own dad's reaction to, to my you know, sensitivity, and I sort of create the same sensitivity in her. So it, it gets uh. passed on. We'll talk more about that in a moment. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Sky Nelson Isaacs, and he is the author of Leap to Wholeness. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Sky Nelson Isaacs, and he's the author of Leap to Wholeness. And if you want to know about his work, you can go to his website, synchronicityinstitute.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And Sky, we, we were just talking about shame and, and wounds and how we continue to carry them. I, I mean, even in our bodies, I mean, there it's like almost somatic. They live in our bodies, and we have these automatic responses to things. So how do we 
begin to unravel that and start to heal and start to begin to live from our wholeness rather than these wounded places? Well, I think of these wounds as patterns that we take on, as, as we're saying, you know, and when we can recognize the pattern, we can then have some choice about it because our conscious mind goes in and says, oh, I don't actually, I'm not actually afraid of getting laughed at for missing the kickball anymore. That, that's a pattern, but I don't actually feel that way. And, and then, so recognizing, having a, an idea, a conscious idea of what we're doing really helps. And one of the tools that I put in my book is the ARG process. <laughs> like when you feel frustrated, A-R-G-H, it's just an acronym. And A stands for accept your situation. Now, I don't mean accept the outcome that could be bad. I mean, accept what's already happened, accept where you are. This is just a very Buddhist idea of accepting your situation, what's already happened. And then recognize the pattern. So instead of trying to fix the problem, you've already accepted that you've got a problem. Now you're trying to recognize what's the pattern here? How did I get into this situation? How, does, how do I keep ending up in a relationship where we fight a lot? And the person reminds me of my parents. Or how do I keep ending up in jobs where I feel disrespected and like I can't uh, take responsibility and I'm not given responsibility? You know, is there a pattern here that I can recognize? And third is the G, growth. But it's about valuing growth over accomplishment. And this is the important step where we we accept that we've already been put ourselves in a situation. I'm not going to try and solve my current situation. I'm going to let go of the fear that I have around whatever's going on. I'm going to value growth. How do I change this next time? Because if we change it for next time, then this is the last time we'll ever experience it. So by letting go of trying to fix your problem right this second and focusing on inner learning, you're then able to heal whatever is causing the pattern and move on for the next time. So this brings up that idea that you talk about, about content and context. So what you're talking about is going deeper than just the content of, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm not going to be mean to my wife or, or to when the dishes are piling in the sink, I'm not going to react to that. So that's the, the content that you're going to solve. But you're looking at, at a deeper process of why does that upset me so? What, yeah. What's going on there? What, what's the pattern, as you mentioned earlier? Is, is that what we're going for? Yeah, and I, I'm really happy with the subtitle of the book, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. And I'm trying to reach to that idea that there is a process here. It's programmed. It's, it works a certain way. That the situations that are showing up in our lives are happening if we can look at the context, if we can look at what, what we're learning, not necessarily the content, we, we can get distracted by the content because it looks different every time. Oh, this is not the same you know, relationship I had before, but the, but the experience is the same, but there's a different person. So I let go of the content, let go of the person and realize that what I'm learning is the same. Then we can start to see patterns in our life. We start to see themes that show up again and again by focusing on the context what we're experiencing, what, what's the whole setup of the situation that, that is causing a situation to happen, not just the, the, not just the way that something went wrong at work, but how does this keep 
setting itself up to happen this way. So that's how we really learn is by recognizing the context of what we're feeling and learning from an experience. And that's how we really change by, by doing the inner work. And in, in that way, Sky, um, I know that you talk about the ability to be vulnerable and how that's really important in all of this process. That's difficult. We don't we, we want to be self-protected and we don't want to be vulnerable. I mean, we're taught that early on and uh, or we take that on early, very early. Vulnerability is 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 very uh, central, I think, to the work that we're trying to do collectively in the world. We are learning, uh, I can, well, I speak for myself, I'm learning to make more connections in to, with people in different ways that involves being vulnerable. It involves um, letting go of the filters that I have, which make me, which try to protect me. You know, our filters are there to protect us. To, so we say and do things that keep us safe in a lot of cases. And to, to try on new ways of being, to let go of fear in a situation where you would normally feel fear, involves a risk that if you don't do the thing you always do to protect yourself, you might get hurt. But if you have enough information from experiences to indicate that you, you probably won't get hurt anymore, you're not going to get criticized for you know, singing a song anymore like you were in second grade, because um, you're with adults now who care about you. And um, so then we can uh, let go of those filters, filters. We can become vulnerable with people in new ways because we see that our habits are not helping us anymore. I think you, um, if I remember correctly, you give an example of losing your wallet in when you mm-hmm. were on vacation with your in-laws. And it, do you, yes. do you, is that, is that yeah. an example that would illustrate this, if you could repeat that? Yeah. I was in Hawaii on a vacation with my wife's family, and we had the wonderful day going to the beach and got home that night, and I couldn't find my wallet. And so I thought maybe it was at the beach, and I got, you know, sort of closed off and a little grumpy because I had to find this, my wallet, and it was my fault. And so I sort of shut down and was just trying to do it, and I wasn't really receiving help. And I actually went back to the beach and looked on the sand at night, came back and found myself also having a stomach ache, probably a somatic you know, resu- response to my sense of isolation and frustration and, and anger at myself. And finally, I just went into the, the living room where they were all hanging out. And I sat down on the couch and I started a conversation and somebody asked how it was going. That they'd, Somebody who I hadn't talked to yet, I think it was my mother-in-law, asked, did you find your wallet or did you lose your wallet? And I, I just decided my natural response would have been to say kind of manly like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll find it or whatever, you know. And I decided to just open up. I said, you know, my stomach really hurts. <laughs> I can't believe I lost my wallet. I'm really, really stuck. <laughs> so, I'm so bummed, you know. And I just opened up about that. And I, I softened rather than hardened. And I have a tendency to sort of harden and be very independent in that situation. So I tried a different approach. And by softening, I got some empathy and I felt connected and there was some, like I got, got a lot of people on my side and they started asking questions that would help me, like, where did you last have it? And, and then they reminded me I had, a, I, I had a second pair of a bathing suit upstairs, so I went to my bathing suit upstairs and there I remembered that I had been outside on the patio 
and I'd set my, my bathing suit down behind a chair and the wind had been blowing. I went downstairs and it had blown it behind the chair and my wallet was in it. So by softening, and I've, I mean, of course I found my wallet, that's like the content, right? But the context was that I opened up to people in a way that I hadn't done really as an adult habitually. And I felt more connected in my life. And that was very rewarding. And so this has to do with one of the tools that you talk about in in how we can really start to become to, to grow and to heal and mm-hmm. adapt as as you have in the subtitle of your book. Yeah, and and so vulnerability is certainly a big piece of that and self-compassion is one of the tools I talk about the most in the book. I talk about the uh, unreasonable effectiveness of self-compassion. And uh, I, I'm, that's a title taken from a physics quote by Eugene Wigner about the unreasonable effectiveness of math in the physical sciences. Because <laughs> he, he points out that math always seems to describe reality, even, even when you don't know why, it just eventually it describes something physical. And in the same way, self, self-compassion seems to eventually solve each problem by uh, giving me more tools and more spaciousness. And I, I know that you talk about um, one of the things that push back against self-compassion mm-hmm. is the idea of perfectionism. <laughs> and that yeah. we negate our self-compassion because we want it to be perfect. Yeah. And I'd love for you to, to help us understand that. Well, that's a great example of looking for filters. Like, why do I want things to be perfect? If we, that's the same question we started with. How do I get something from nothing versus how do I get something from wholeness? If I stop myself and ask, what's the question I'm asking? Then I may have some different answers versus if I just try and answer the same question again and again and again. So if I'm trying to be perfect, if I've got perfectionism happening for me, why? For me, I want to be successful with what I'm doing. And usually that involves impressing someone else or Uh, you know, looking good in some way. And that's actually a very separating experience. Because when I'm trying to look good or trying to, you know, impress somebody, I actually feel separate from them. And what I, as I've learned, as I've grown older and become more vulnerable at, at when I can, I've realized that that sense of connection that I have with my best, closest friends is what I'm looking for everywhere in my life. That sense that we're in this together, we're not trying to put up walls between us, but we're trying to have compassion for each other, have openness, not try and fix the problems, but just be with the problems, be with, you know, be alive, be be alive together. That's an openness there that comes from the lack of perfectionism. So I can let go of that perfectionism and just show up a little more present. I'm thinking too, that as you're saying that, that we want to arrive at some place where it's always going to be fixed, so to speak. Like, can we ever arrive at total vulnerability in every situation, or is this something that's a lifelong process? I think the reason we want to do that might be because we want to avoid that thing we were talking about earlier, shame. (laughs) You know, if I wasn't worried about feeling shame, or if I wasn't worried about being embarrassed or being uh, criticized, I kind of would be like, Great, let's do the next thing. And I think that's a great remedy for, for angst is to find, it, find your excitement. Find you know, what's stopping you from just being excited. Because I don't think you're ever going to solve all the problems. 
And that comes back to this word programmed. I think that the world is programmed to bring us problems. And that's a really important piece when you're talking about synchronicity. It's not, synchronicities are not positive events. They can be just as much problematic as anything else. They're there to, to teach us something, to help us grow. So I think the world is programmed to bring us, to fill our life with problems and solutions. And we're, we're trying to navigate that. And when we do that well, we get into that state that I wrote about in my first book, Flow. The natural movement between new problem and then finding your way to the solution. I'm here with Sky Nelson Isaacs. He is the author of Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Sky Nelson Isaacs, and he's the author of Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. And Sky, I'm, I'm thinking in um, talking about synchronicity and how things come to us and how we repeat patterns. You know, I was reminded of that poem by, um, it was uh, Portia Nelson, and it's it's the autobiography of five short chapters, and she talks about how you walk down the street and you fall in a hole, and then you have to dig yourself out, and it's, you know, it's not your fault. You say, oh, it's not my fault, I fell in that hole, and then chapter two, you walk down the same street, and you fall in the hole, but, well, before you fall in the hole, you pretend you don't see it. Now, this kind of goes to the, what we're talking about, about not really understanding the context of what our repeated patterns are. And she goes on and on, and finally she gets us to the fifth chapter where we walk down a different street. Do you, are you, do you recall that, that particular yeah, poem? I do, yeah. Go I ahead. Think, I think what she's referring to in my language would be um, yes, it's on one side, it's like the content. I walk down a different street. I don't choose the same people to relate to. I don't put myself in the same situation. On, the, on another side, it's also choosing how I feel, choosing how I respond, you know, choosing how to navigate what I look at as a house inside, the different rooms of my house. So if I find myself often in frustrating uh, space, I can practice going from frustration without solving the thing that's good, making me frustrated. Like parenting has been great for this for me, great teacher, because <laughs> I'm not going to change someone else's behavior necessarily. I mean, maybe she'll change, maybe he'll change, but um, instead I can change how I respond. How do I get from frustrated to peaceful or from frustrated to happy? I don't have to change the external circumstances. I can do that inside myself through a careful adjustment of, you know, and it's actually a pathway going from, okay, I'm frustrated, but the truth is I'm really happy about a lot of things going on in my life. That gives me a little bit of gratitude. 
Um, also, I notice that I'm frustrated because I feel like I'm being an ineffective parent and my child is, you know, doing something that is actually could, makes me feel like I'm ineffective. And so then I feel bad. So then I, then I go, oh, self-compassion. Great. I bring in some self-compassion. That's another step out of, the, out of that room. And eventually I find myself being in a room where I'm joyfully making dinner and I haven't solved the problem, but I've shifted to a new place in my house. Right, right. There you go. And, and, and once you do it once, you can do it a few times. You follow the same path to self-compassion and forgiveness or whatever, whatever your pathway is. One of the techniques that I use for myself when I'm feeling really bummed out about something or I get fearful when fear comes in and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is a terrible situation. And I try to remember to be curious and to to ask myself the question, oh, I wonder how this is going to turn out, rather than yeah. going to, oh, looking at the worst scenario that I can possibly think of, which often I do. But uh, sometimes I get this other um, aspect into my being, and I'm curious. Yeah. So, what would what would you say about like? how we get from fear to joy. Well, this is this is a great story, a great movie I refer to in my book. Um, and this movie illustrates what I think the programming is that we're dealing with. This programming of that makes us have reactions that are fearful and, and learn how to have different reactions and not go into fear. And the movie is called The Night at the Museum. Uh, it's a great movie about a night watchman who... He gets a job at a museum and all the animals come alive, all the exhibits come alive. All the mummy and the little figurines in the Wild West, they all come alive at night when he's there. And he's the only one that knows this. And they, they're mean, like they're, they beat him up, they steal his keys, they, they trick him all the time. So he's getting bullied by this, all this museum wildlife. But eventually, he goes from being fear-driven to switching, like actually there's, a, there's an antagonist that comes in and tries to take over the museum and kill all the exhibits and steal them all. So Ben Stiller, who's the protagonist, becomes um, protective and has courage come in. And he starts to take on a different personality where he's not afraid of them anymore. And suddenly all the animals and the museum exhibits become positive. They become helpful. They become useful and helpful to him. So he transforms fear into courage through a shift in his own mindset. So courage, how do we tap into our courage? How, what, yeah, what are your suggestions? Well, it's about those filters because like in the case of, of this night watchman, his filters are maybe I, I, I got to be careful. I got to you know, protect myself. These people are out to get me. I'm going to get hurt. And when he shifts to, um, he realizes those filters. He realizes that he's sort of tiptoeing and, and afraid. He's able to say, well, there's actually a purpose I, I serve here. I'm protecting these creatures from this villain. And that shifts his focus for, away from the, the messages, the filters of like, he's in trouble and he's got to protect himself to a bigger picture of who he's trying to protect them. So I think when we can shift from our own inner filters of self-protection, recognize what they are, recognize the ways we feel afraid that, that life bullies us, the more we can address those fears and not get sucked into them, those thought processes, the more we can find courage underneath. So this this takes me into what you talk about the the feeling space that we live in, rather than um, the 
actual external events, but they're they're always filtered through our feelings. So what can you help us to know about the best way that we can live in this feeling space rather than just content all the time? We're constantly passing around feelings. So when I feel scared about something going on in my professional life, and then I go to sit down at dinner, I'm probably going to be kind of short-tempered with my own kids. And my daughter is going to be like, then defensive to me. So I pass on my angst and my stress to her in a different form. So it's really valuable to recognize that we're, we're in this field of emotions that we're, we're passing around. And the more we can transmute our own emotions without expressing them as such, make sure that we're expressing the right emotion to the right person. So I don't express my frustration at somebody else, at my daughter, for instance, then I can actually really shift the dynamic. So there's a reading here from the book. When we are at our, at our weakest, when we are hurt and frustrated, we are right where we need to be on the path of transformation. This is when it is most important to look inside and understand ourselves. These may be moments when we feel the least worthy of love. We may feel like we've let everybody down, but these moments are the most precious of all. Most of daily life allows us to avoid doing the work of healing, change, and growth. But in these moments of weakness and pain, we have the chance to break the habits of the past and forge a new future. Well, now that's that's a big one uh, because we tend to want to avoid those situations where we're feeling, again, vulnerable to to these feelings. And you're saying that's where the gold is. That's where the healing is. You're saying go for that. And yeah. that's where maybe the courage comes in to go for that, yeah. to, to or to at least live in that space long enough to let it really work its healing on us. Am, am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, and the reason we want to avoid those feelings is because of our filters. I have shame, and I feel shame of the ways in which I've messed up. So if I've messed up around, you know, if I've spent too much money on something and I feel shameful about it, and then I have a hard conversation to have with my family. And uh, the more I can see those filters of what, what I'm telling myself, the conversation I'm having in my own head, and whatever that's triggering in my emotions, the more I can move beyond that, like take off those glasses and see the world directly, and then receive the love that I get from other people in my life also in response. It, you know, and that just takes us to isolation. I mean, that's where so many of us live so much of the time, that we are in our own little bubble, and we're we're feeling very separated from that others, and and therefore defend ourselves constantly against what are perceived as attacks. And so yeah. here we are again. Having to learn some tools, patience might be one. Um, there are some other tools that you have that you suggest to us to help us to not feel so isolated. Well, I had this dream. So we've spent a year now being very isolated, and it's it's a metaphor for the way in which we isolate ourselves, the, the social distancing, and the, this is what filters do. We're afraid of being critiqued or afraid of being feeling shame. And so we put up an uh, interpretation wall, like, I'm, I'm not going to let this person hurt me, so I'm not going to actually hear what they say directly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it in my mind so that I can 
feel safe. I feel protected. And so then I can't necessarily hear when someone you know, offers me a new idea, like, let's just talk about going out to dinner. If someone suggests, let's go out to dinner at this restaurant. And, um, and I feel like they're, you know, uh, somehow attacking me because I, I already made the decision to do that. And, and they're undermining my, you know, my choice. I already made plans tonight. Why are you changing the plan? And so these filters get in the way of actually hearing that this person was just trying to help or being able to have that conversation about why a miscommunication might be happening. So I had this dream where I went to the basement of my house and in the basement of my house were these shelves with tools, these stainless steel, just piles and piles of tools in baskets like a, like a hardware store. They were all brand new. And I had been working with more self-compassion, more patience, and, and being able to see the filters that I interpret the world through. And I saw that these were tools to actually do the kind of work that we need to do right now, that I need to do personally to change my life. And it's less about the outward stuff than about how I respond to the outward stuff. And I know one of the tools that you, you talk about is tenderness. And I'm thinking oftentimes we can be so much more tender to others especially, let's say, our children or even our, our partners and our, our workmates. And, um, but inside of ourselves, we're just brutal. Uh, yeah. Our self-talk can be brutal. And um, so coming to, to tenderness, I just find that that's a very wonderful concept to be tender with ourselves. And I think this is work that, uh, as a man, I can really benefit from. That when I'm not tender with myself, I tend to be more aggressive or more more um, critical of people in my life, more you know, defensive. And it comes back to, like you said, the things I'm telling myself, the things I'm afraid of, you know, happening to me. Whether it's like somebody at work criticizing me or maybe losing my job and feeling inadequate or I'm just not doing a good enough job. Like I'm, I'm, we're all tender. We all have a bottom line of sensitivity. We're all, we're all vulnerable. And by opening up, by, by acknowledging that tenderness, by feeling it and letting you know, people that we trust, letting them in and be, be softening, you know, that, that experience of softening instead of hardening is really valuable. I'm here with Sky Nelson Isaacs. He's the author of Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
here with Sky Nelson Isaacs, and he's the author of Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. And I, I want to cover um, how, in, in your book, I, I want to make sure that I cover this because you talk about personal pain can become global. And when we're willing to peel away our filters and let go of things um, that we believe uh, erroneously about ourselves, we become able to trust each other. And, and what does this have to do with um, the global situation or being a an activist in the world? Well, I think that I think that we are feeling pain, each of us. And when we have political differences, when we have uh, violent disagreements um, with the people having taking different sides and being polarized, I think we're dealing with pain that we can't, we don't know any other way to, to process. And we see this just in the simple way that we dealt with healthcare policy in the past 10 years. Um, you know, we, we don't really address the underlying issues of fear of mortality, fear of pain, fear of hurt in our culture. We don't talk about that easily. I don't think we address the underlying issues that we face. And so when somebody gets hurt, they don't know how to express that. They don't know how to address it. Um, and so that turns into a, a, a way of trying to solve it through, through policy or through you know, the, the online conversations or on, on the TV shows where they don't actually address the underlying emotions that people are having. And I think we, we're going to have to address the underlying emotions in order to move forward with some of these issues. I'll take a, an example, which is a very um, deep issue, but I'll just address it very briefly. The, the language around Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter. Um, Black Lives Matter is a statement that really is trying to indicate a whole breadth of experiences that people of color have, uh, which are historically based and current as well. And the response of the, term, the phrase Blue Lives Matter focuses on a specific um, uh, reaction to that statement that will also, it's true that the lives of, of police officers who are putting themselves in danger are very important too. But we're not actually addressing either of their concerns, the underlying emotions of feeling disrespected or feeling afraid that either community has by just throwing these terms over the fence. So in order to get somewhere with that, I think, or with other situations, we need to address what, what is each community feeling and how do we honor and respect those feelings and create space to hold both sets of feelings. You have written a little bit about, and I, I, I totally respect this, Sky, that you have come in touch with your own white privilege and the impact that this position in society that you've held, that you've grown up with, and with the water that you have been swimming with in all of your life, so forth, you become aware of the insensitivity that you may have toward the actions you you do in the world. I'd love for you to speak about that and where how where you are with that and what you've learned about your own white privilege as a white male in the U.S. society. There's so much that could be said, and I'll, I won't do any of that justice. But what I will say is that 
uh, we, I as a white male live within all sorts of different types of privilege, whether it's as a man and having you know, access to greater paychecks or uh, greater um, uh, roles in government, or as a white person having privilege of being able to uh, go, to, go in my car without being worried of getting pulled over. I tell a story in the book about driving without my license one time and getting pulled over and actually just being afraid of getting a ticket, but not being afraid for my life. And that's a real difference between me and someone who has black skin. So um, what I would really focus on in, in, in my work, in, in my practice of filters, is I think many of us in the modern world have work to do on feeling like we're not lacking, feeling like what we have is enough. And I think we've had for generations uh, a sense that we don't have enough. And I feel that way. I have plenty in my life, and yet I, I always feel like I'm lacking. I don't have enough. So getting to that worry, that filter that causes me to worry about how am I going to survive, am I going to be safe, and peeling that back so I can feel safe on a daily basis gives me more flexibility to then see what issues other people are having and, and be more open. What about uh, grief? Um grief and sadness i mean it's something that is not easy for us to to open up to and to to feel it fully and and yet you say that grief can cut through our filters and and help us choose wisely so how how does that work well it comes back to that same question about do i have enough you know the feeling of if i am safe in the world if i have enough money in my bank account if i'm in a in a demographic that does, um, and I'm still afraid of not having enough and of, of running out of money or running out of uh, losing my home or um, needing another home, a second home or a better car or a better phone. I'm actually running away from the fear of loss. And there's grief in there, right? When I'm afraid of losing something that's of value to me, I feel grief. And so if we can open ourselves to feeling that disappointment or loss or grief that comes from not getting all the things we want in life, we can, I think, become more available to getting into flow and being present for what other people are experiencing, being more receptive, better listeners, and coming into a better harmony as a community. So in, in that way, you would say, I guess, our individual choices to, let's say, go into our grief and, and really experience it will change the outward, could change the outward. Yeah. So the connection I make to synchronicity is important, and it's definitely a postulate. It's not proven. But my experience is that I experience synchronicities or meaningful coincidences which show up in my life that help me in whatever I'm doing or might be getting my way, but they teach me something useful. They can be obstacles as well. And the idea is that uh, I'm, I'm on a tree. I'm, uh, there's a tree of all the possible situations that could happen. And the anticipation that I feel for a certain set of experiences, like I expect to feel frustrated or I expect to feel satisfied, that can actually bring about greater likelihood of experiencing something that brings that situation into my life. And so the more we are able to move out of those rooms in our house where we're frustrated the less we will be experiencing synchronicities which bring us that feeling of frustration. It's true that people, life is not just guided by our, our 
anticipations and our intuitions. It's also guided by the structural forces around us and this is the way the society works. But at, what I'm trying to get to is that when we make choices to feel a certain way or go with a certain attitude, we end up bringing more situations in alignment with that as synchronicities in our lives. So this is this is where you talk about a leap to wholeness. I mean, our choice um, that might lead us to greater wholeness. And I, I don't know if we've really defined what you mean by wholeness in this case, if you can well, say the, something about that. We talked in the very beginning about the whole picture. And when you can modify a whole picture by just changing the frequencies, uh, by applying a filter to its frequencies, and the whole thing changes at once. And that's a metaphor for how I think we work. We are a collection of personalities. Each of us is a collection of personalities, a collection of emotions, a collection of um, identities, and that's the whole self. But we only express certain versions of that. We, we limit ourselves to what feels safe to express. or We, we can only hear what we're able to hear from other people if it, as long as it fits within our, our worldview. And so this is how our filters are what are limiting our sense of the wholeness of who we are. And when we can, when we can accept, for instance, that anger is a very important emotion, but it has a place to be directed at the right person and at the right time, then it can be effective. When it's directed at the wrong time to the wrong person, it can be wounding. And so not rejecting our anger and or not, not relying on it to solve problems, like finding the right emotion at the right time is about moving through that whole sense of who we are. So I'm thinking, going back to when you were talking about rooms, and I know you use the metaphor uh, that there are many rooms in our psyche, so to speak, and some of them involve um, those, you know, self-pity and 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 judgment and so forth, shame. Uh, and then there's this. There are other rooms that we might search out that are more beneficial to our healing, truly, to to living a more free life, in so far as that we're beyond shame and and judgment of others in isolation. So, um, if you have any any thoughts well, on that, yeah, I think the really key idea is that it's not that we're moving away from certain feelings towards more positive feelings. Because we have a tendency to want to stay in certain feelings. Like, I'm going to be more spiritual if I stay in positivity. And that's not the way I see it. It's actually the moving between the rooms of the house that is the spiritual practice. It's the ability to go from shame. You're always going to get have tr shame be triggered sometimes. You're never going to escape from feeling that sometimes. The question is, how do you go from there to a place that's self-compassionate, that's joyful, or whatever the feeling that you want to get to from where you started. It's that ability to shift and cover the whole spectrum. Beautiful. Thank you. That was, uh, thank you so much, Sky. Um, there, there's so much in this conversation to contemplate. Thank you so much for being with us today on New Dimensions. You're welcome, and thank you for the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Sky Nelson Isaacs. And he's the author of Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Grow, Heal, and Adapt. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, synchronicityinstitute.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3,725. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.